Section four of Daisy Miller. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Corrie Samuel. Daisy Miller, a study in two parts by Henry James. Section four. Part two. Winterbourne who had returned to Geneva the day after his excursion to Chillon, went to Rome toward the end of January. His aunt had been established there for several weeks, and he had received a couple of letters from her. "'Those people you were so devoted to last summer at Vevey have turned up here, courier and all,' she wrote. "'They seem to have made several acquaintances, but the courier continues to be the most intimate.' The young lady, however, is also very intimate with some third-rate Italians, with whom she rackets about in a way that makes much talk. Bring me that pretty novel of Cherbulier's, Paul Le Maire, and don't come later than the twenty-third. In the natural course of events, Winterbourne, on arriving in Rome, would presently have ascertained Mrs. Miller's address at the American banker's, and have gone to pay his compliments to Miss Daisy. After what happened at Vevey, I think I may certainly call upon them, he said to Mrs. Costello. If, after what happens, at Vevey and everywhere, you desire to keep up the acquaintance, you are very welcome. Of course a man may know everyone. Men are welcome to the privilege. Pray, what is it that happens here, for instance? Winterbourne demanded. The girl goes about alone with her foreigners. As to what happens further, you must apply elsewhere for information. She has picked up half a dozen of the regular Rome fortune-hunters, and she takes them about to people's houses. When she comes to a party, she brings with her a gentleman with a good deal of manner, and a wonderful moustache. And where is the mother? I haven't the least idea. They are very dreadful people. Winterbourne meditated a moment. They are very ignorant, very innocent only. Depend upon it, they are not bad. They are hopelessly vulgar, said Mrs. Costello. Whether or no being hopelessly vulgar is being bad, is a question for the metaphysicians. They are bad enough to dislike, at any rate, and for this short life that is quite enough. The news that Daisy Miller was surrounded by half a dozen wonderful moustaches checked Winterbourne's impulse to go straight away to see her. He had, perhaps, not definitely flattered himself that he had made an ineffaceable impression upon her heart, but he was annoyed at hearing of a state of affairs so little in harmony with an image that had lately flitted in and out of his own meditations, the image of a very pretty girl, looking out of an old Roman window and asking herself urgently when Mr. Winterbourne would arrive. If, however, he determined to wait a little, before reminding Miss Miller of his claims to her consideration, he went very soon to call upon two or three other friends. One of these friends was an American lady, who had spent several winters at Geneva, where she had placed her children at school. She was a very accomplished woman, and she lived in the Via Gregorina. Winterbourne found her in a little crimson drawing-room on a third floor. The room was filled with sudden sunshine. He had not been there ten minutes when the servant came in, announcing 
Madame Miller. This announcement was presently followed by the entrance of little Randolph Miller, who stopped in the middle of the room and stood staring at Winterbourne. An instant later his pretty sister crossed the threshold, and then, after a considerable interval, Mrs. Miller slowly advanced. "'I know you,' said Randolph. "'I'm sure you know a great many things,' exclaimed Winterbourne, taking him by the hand. "'How is your education coming on?' Daisy was exchanging greetings very prettily with her hostess, but when she heard Winterbourne's voice she quickly turned her head. "'Well, I declare,' she said. "'I told you I should come, you know,' Winterbourne rejoined, smiling. "'Well, I didn't believe it.' said Miss Daisy. "'I am much obliged to you,' laughed the young man. "'You might have come to see me,' said Daisy. "'I arrived only yesterday.' "'I don't believe that,' the young girl declared. Winterbourne turned with a protesting smile to her mother, but this lady evaded his glance, and, seating herself, fixed her eyes upon her son. "'We've got a bigger place than this,' said Randolph. It's all gold on the walls." Mrs. Miller turned uneasily in her chair. "'I told you if I were to bring you, you would say something,' she murmured. "'I told you,' Randolph exclaimed. "'I tell you, sir,' he added jocosely, giving Winterbourne a thump on the knee. "'It is bigger, too.' Daisy had entered upon a lively conversation with her hostess. Winterbourne judged it becoming to address a few words to her mother. "'I hope you have been well since we parted at Fevy,' he said. Mrs. Miller now certainly looked at him, at his chin. "'Not very well, sir,' she answered. "'She's got the dyspepsia,' said Randolph. "'I've got it too. Father's got it. I've got it most.' This announcement, instead of embarrassing Mrs. Miller, seemed to relieve her. "'I suffer from the liver,' she said. "'I think it's this climate. It's less bracing than Schenectady, especially in the winter season. I don't know whether you know we reside at Schenectady. I was saying to Daisy that I certainly hadn't found any one like Dr. Davis, and I didn't believe I should. Oh, at Schenectady he stands first. They think everything of him. He has so much to do, and yet there was nothing he wouldn't do for me. He said he never saw anything like my dyspepsia, but he was bound to cure it. I'm sure there was nothing he wouldn't try. He was just going to try something new when we came off. Mr. Miller wanted Daisy to see Europe for herself, but I wrote to Mr. Miller that it seems as if I couldn't get on without Dr. Davis. At Schenectady he stands at the very top, and there's a great deal of sickness there, too. It affects my sleep." Winterbourne had a good deal of pathological gossip with Dr. Davis's patient during which Daisy chatted unremittingly to her own companion. The young man asked Mrs. Miller how she was pleased with Rome. "'Well, I must say I am disappointed,' she answered. "'We had heard so much about it. I suppose we had heard too much. But we couldn't help that. We had been led to expect something very different.' "'Ah, wait a little and you will become very fond of it,' said Winterbourne. I hate it worse and worse every day," cried Randolph. "'You are like the infant Hannibal,' said Winterbourne. 
"'No, I ain't,' Randolph declared, at a venture. "'You are not much like an infant,' said his mother. "'But we have seen places,' she resumed, "'that I should put a long way before Rome.' And in reply to Winterbourne's interrogation, "'There's Zurich,' she concluded. "'I think Zurich is lovely, and we hadn't heard half so much about it.' "'The best place we've seen is the city of Richmond,' said Randolph. "'He means the ship,' his mother explained. "'We crossed in that ship. Randolph had a good time on the city of Richmond.' "'It's the best place I've seen,' the child repeated. "'Only it was turned the wrong way.' "'Well, we've got to turn the right way sometime,' said Mrs. Miller, with a little laugh. Winterbourne expressed the hope that her daughter, at least, found some gratification in Rome, and she declared that Daisy was quite carried away. "'It's on account of the society. The society's splendid. She goes round everywhere. She has made a great number of acquaintances. Of course, she goes round more than I do. I must say, they have been very sociable.' They have taken her right in. And then she knows a great many gentlemen. Oh, she thinks there's nothing like Rome. Of course, it's a great deal pleasanter for a young lady if she knows plenty of gentlemen. By this time, Daisy had turned her attention again to Winterbourne. I've been telling Mrs. Walker how mean you were, the young girl announced. And what is the evidence you have offered? asked Winterbourne rather annoyed at Miss Miller's want of appreciation of the zeal of an admirer, who on his way down to Rome had stopped neither at Bologna nor at Florence, simply because of a certain sentimental impatience. He remembered that a cynical compatriot had once told him that American women, the pretty ones, and this gave a largeness to the axiom, were at once the most exacting in the world, and the least endowed with a sense of indebtedness. Why? "'You were awfully mean at Vevey,' said Daisy. "'You wouldn't do anything. You wouldn't stay there when I asked you.' "'My dearest young lady,' cried Winterbourne, with eloquence, "'have I come all the way to Rome to encounter your reproaches?' "'Just hear him say that,' said Daisy to her hostess, giving a twist to a bow on this lady's dress. "'Did you ever hear anything so quaint?' "'So quaint, my dear?' murmured Mrs. Walker, in the tone of a partisan of Winterbourne. "'Well, I don't know,' said Daisy, fingering Mrs. Walker's ribbons. "'Mrs. Walker, I want to tell you something.' "'Mother!' interposed Randolph, with his rough ends to his words. "'I tell you, you've got to go. Eugenia will raise—something.' "'I'm not afraid of Eugenio,' said Daisy, with a toss of her head. "'Look here, Mrs. Walker,' she went on. "'You know I'm coming to your party.' "'I'm delighted to hear it.' "'I've got a lovely dress.' "'I'm very sure of that.' "'But I want to ask a favour, permission to bring a friend.' "'I shall be happy to see any of your friends,' said Mrs. Walker, turning with a smile to Mrs. Miller. "'Oh, they are not my friends,' answered Daisy's mamma, smiling shyly in her own fashion. I never spoke to them. "'It's an intimate friend of mine, Mr. Giovanelli,' said Daisy, without a tremor in her clear little voice, or a shadow on her brilliant little face. Mrs. Walker was silent a moment. She gave a rapid glance at Winterbourne. 
"'I shall be glad to see Mr. Giovanelli,' she then said. "'He's an Italian,' Daisy pursued, with the prettiest serenity. "'He's a great friend of mine. He's the handsomest man in the world, except Mr. Winterbourne. He knows plenty of Italians, but he wants to know some Americans. He thinks ever so much of Americans. He's tremendously clever. He's perfectly lovely.' It was settled that this brilliant personage should be brought to Mrs. Walker's party, and then Mrs. Miller prepared to take her leave. "'I guess we'll go back to the hotel,' she said. "'You may go back to the hotel, mother, but I'm going to take a walk,' said Daisy. "'She's going to walk with Mr. Giovanelli,' Randolph proclaimed. "'I'm going to the Pincio,' said Daisy, smiling. "'Alone, my dear, at this hour?' Mrs. Walker asked. The afternoon was drawing to a close. It was the hour for the throng of carriages and of contemplative pedestrians. "'I don't think it's safe, my dear,' said Mrs. Walker. "'Neither do I,' subjoined Mrs. Miller. "'You'll get the fever as sure as you live. Remember what Dr. Davis told you.' "'Give her some medicine before she goes,' said Randolph. The company had risen to its feet. Daisy, still showing her pretty teeth, bent over and kissed her hostess. "'Mrs. Walker, you are too perfect,' she said. "'I'm not going alone. I'm going to meet a friend.' "'Your friend won't keep you from getting the fever,' Mrs. Miller observed. "'Is it Mr. Giovanelli?' asked the hostess. Winterbourne was watching the young girl. At this question his attention quickened. She stood there, smiling and smoothing her bonnet-ribbons. She glanced at Winterbourne. Then, while she glanced and smiled, she answered, without a shade of hesitation, Mr. Giovanelli, the beautiful Giovanelli. "'My dear young friend,' said Mrs. Walker, taking her hand pleadingly, "'don't walk off to the Pincio at this hour to meet a beautiful Italian.' "'Well, he speaks English,' said Mrs. Miller. "'Gracious me!' Daisy exclaimed. "'I don't to do anything improper. "'There's an easy way to settle it.' She continued to glance at Winterbourne. "'The Pincio is only a hundred yards distant, "'and if Mr. Winterbourne were as polite as he pretends, "'he would offer to walk with me.' Winterbourne's politeness hastened to affirm itself, and the young girl gave him gracious leave to accompany her. They passed downstairs before her mother, and at the door Winterbourne perceived Mrs. Miller's carriage drawn up, with the ornamental courier, whose acquaintance he had made at Vevey, seated within. "'Good-bye, Eugenio,' cried Daisy. "'I'm going to take a walk.' The distance from the Via Gregorina to the beautiful garden at the other end of the Pincian Hill is, in fact, rapidly traversed. As the day was splendid, however, and the concourse of vehicles, walkers and loungers, numerous, the young Americans found their progress much delayed. This fact was highly agreeable to Winterbourne, in spite of his consciousness of his singular situation. The slow-moving, idly-gazing Roman crowd bestowed much attention upon the extremely pretty young foreign lady who was passing through it upon his arm, and he wondered what on earth had been in Daisy's mind when she proposed to expose herself, unattended, to its appreciation. His own mission, to her sense, apparently, was to consign her to the hands of Mr. Giovanelli.
but Winterbourne, at once annoyed and gratified, resolved that he would do no such thing. "'Why haven't you been to see me?' asked Daisy. "'You can't get out of that.' "'I have had the honour of telling you that I have only just stepped out of the train.' "'You must have stayed in the train a good while after it stopped,' cried the young girl, with her little laugh. "'I suppose you were asleep. You have had time to go and see Mrs. Walker.' "'I knew Mrs. Walker,' Winterbourne began to explain. "'I know where you knew her. You knew her at Geneva. She told me so. "'Well, you knew me at Vevey. That's just as good. So you ought to have come.' She asked him no other question than this. She began to prattle about her own affairs. "'We've got splendid rooms at the hotel. Eugenio says they're the best rooms in Rome. We are going to stay all winter, if we don't die of the fever.' and I guess we'll stay then. It's a great deal nicer than I thought. I thought it would be fearfully quiet. I was sure it would be awfully pokey. I was sure we should be going round all the time with one of those dreadful old men that explain about the pictures and things. But we only had about a week of that, and now I'm enjoying myself. I know ever so many people, and they're all so charming. The society's extremely select. There are all kinds. English and Germans and Italians. I think I like the English best. I like their style of conversation. But there are some lovely Americans. I never saw anything so hospitable. There's something or other every day. There's not much dancing, but I must say I never thought dancing was everything. I was always fond of conversation. I guess I shall have plenty at Mrs. Walker's. Her rooms are so small. When they had passed the gate of the Pincian Gardens, Miss Miller began to wonder where Mr. Giovanelli might be. "'We had better go straight to that place in front,' she said, "'where you look at the view.' "'I certainly shall not help you to find him,' Winterbourne declared. "'Then I shall find him without you,' cried Miss Daisy. "'You certainly won't leave me,' cried Winterbourne. She burst into her little laugh. "'Are you afraid you'll get lost, or run over?' But there's Giovanelli, leaning against that tree. He's staring at the women in the carriages. Did you ever see anything so cool? Winterbourne perceived at some distance a little man, standing with folded arms, nursing his cane. He had a handsome face, an artfully poised hat, a glass in one eye, and a nosegay in his buttonhole. Winterbourne looked at him a moment, and then said, Do you mean to speak to that man? Do I mean to speak to him? Why, you don't suppose I mean to communicate by signs? Pray understand, then, said Winterbourne, that I intend to remain with you. Daisy stopped and looked at him, without a sign of troubled consciousness in her face, with nothing but the presence of her charming eyes and her happy dimples. Well, she's a cool one, thought the young man. I don't like the way you say that said Daisy. It's too imperious. I beg your pardon if I say it wrong. The main point is to give you an idea of my meaning. The young girl looked at him more gravely, but with eyes that were prettier than ever. I have never allowed a gentleman to dictate to me, or to interfere with anything I do. I think you have made a mistake, said Winterbourne. You should sometimes listen to a gentleman, the right one. Daisy began to laugh again. 
"'I do nothing but listen to gentlemen,' she exclaimed. "'Tell me if Mr. Giovanelli is the right one.' The gentleman with a nosegay in his bosom had now perceived our two friends, and was approaching the young girl with obsequious rapidity. He bowed to Winterbourne, as well as to the latter's companion. He had a brilliant smile, an intelligent eye. Winterbourne thought him not a bad-looking fellow. But he nevertheless said to Daisy, No, he's not the right one. Daisy evidently had a natural talent for performing introductions. She mentioned the name of each of her companions to the other. She strolled along with one of them on each side of her. Mr. Giovanelli, who spoke English very cleverly, Winterbourne afterwards learned that he had practised the idiom upon a great many American heiresses, addressed her a great deal of very polite nonsense. He was extremely urbane, and the young American, who said nothing, reflected upon that profundity of Italian cleverness which enables people to appear more gracious in proportion as they are more acutely disappointed. Giovanelli, of course, had counted upon something more intimate. He had not bargained for a party of three. But he kept his temper in a manner which suggested far-stretching intentions. Winterbourne flattered himself that he had taken his measure. He is not a gentleman, said the young American. He is only a clever imitation of one. He is a music-master, or a penny-a-liner, or a third-rate artist. Damn his good looks! Mr. Giovanelli had, certainly, a very pretty face. But Winterbourne felt a superior indignation at his own lovely fellow-countrywoman's not knowing the difference between a spurious gentleman and a real one. Giovanelli chattered and jested and made himself wonderfully agreeable. It was true that, if he was an imitation, the imitation was brilliant. Nevertheless, Winterbourne said to himself, a nice girl ought to know. And then he came back to the question whether this was, in fact, a nice girl. Would a nice girl, even allowing for her being a little American flirt, make a rendezvous with a presumably low-lived foreigner? The rendezvous in this case, indeed, had been in broad daylight, and in the most crowded corner of Rome. But was it not impossible to regard the choice of these circumstances as a proof of extreme cynicism. Singular though it may seem, Winterbourne was vexed that the young girl, enjoining her amoroso, should not appear more impatient of his own company, and he was vexed because of his inclination. It was impossible to regard her as a perfectly well-conducted young lady. She was wanting in a certain indispensable delicacy. It would therefore simplify matters greatly to be able to treat her as the object of one of those sentiments which are called by romancers lawless passions. That she should seem to wish to get rid of him would help him to think more lightly of her, and to be able to think more lightly of her would make her much less perplexing. But Daisy, on this occasion, continued to present herself as an inscrutable combination of audacity and innocence. End of section 4